0: What are mystery adventures, and how can we build one? What makes the third major game structure so compelling? Welcome back, Rescuers. I'm your host, Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue. And Today we're recording from Rat Central, also known as the dining table, but because Deb is cleaning out the rats, they're all on the table with me. So, if you hear any weird sounds, or weird sounds of eating, crunching, bumping about, whatever, it's probably the rats. Anyway, in Season 1 we explored two major game structures that have stood the test of time. The Dungeon Crawl and the Hex Crawl. Ever since the release of the Chaosium's Call of Cthulhu roleplaying game in 1981, there entered a third major game structure into the annals of RPG play. Today, I want to have a look at this third structure and outline how you can incorporate mystery into your games. This is Season 3, Episode 8. I knew about the Call of Cthulhu game back in the 1980s, but I don't think I played it until much later I remember that I bought the 5th edition with the printing of the hardcover 5.6 version. That was released in 1999 and places my first games of Cthulhu firmly within the early days of our move to Nottingham and my joining the Nottingham RPG Club. Given that I met Mike Mason while working at Games Workshop around the same time, I think I can attribute my interest in playing the game to the current line editor of the game. I had two memorable games at conventions in the early 2000s and I also gamed a couple of times with Mike alongside my wife Deb as a player. I bought the 6th edition in 2004 and I backed the Kickstarter for the 7th edition in 2014 which then got released in 2016. A couple of months ago I bought the Call of Cthulhu starter set and I played through the solo adventure. I've been itching to play the other scenarios since and I've had the opportunity to play... The first of those already. Oh, and I bought the Berlin supplement, just because it's so gorgeous. Anyway, I guess what I'm saying is that I am relatively inexperienced with mystery play. Thus, in my explorations of the hobby over the past two years, I've only recently discovered the two big keys to the mystery game. The Rule of Three and Node-Based Design. As Justin Alexander writes, quote, Mystery scenarios for role-playing games have earned a reputation for turning into unmitigated disasters. The PCs will end up veering wildly off course or failing to find a particular clue, and the entire scenario will grind to a screeching halt or go careening off the nearest cliff. The players will become unsure of what they should be doing. The GM will feel as if they've done something wrong and the whole evening will probably end in either boredom or frustration, or both. End quote. Maybe the players are investigating a murder and they don't look around the scene very thoroughly. They miss the tyre tracks just up from the murder site, or they are searching the chambers of the victim and fluff a search roll so they don't find the secret letters hidden in the desk compartment. Even if you don't play in a style that encourages dice rolling, preferring to get players to interrogate the fiction of the scene, there is no guarantee that your players will think to look where you placed a clue. As a result, a lot of gamers have concluded that mystery scenarios are a really bad idea, and I have to confess that I have been one of those gamers. I've not yet really run a successful mystery that someone else didn't write. Even then, quite a few of the pre-written mystery modules I've run or played in have felt very frustrating. The very last time I ran a mystery, other than the one for Cthulhu recently, was for Dark Matter back around 2000, and that ended badly when a player shot the main source of information. My players at the time thought that a player was just being a dick, quote, playing in character, end quote, but I have always wondered if he simply didn't get the clues that all pointed to this source of information. Since then, I've tended to be wary of running mysteries. I have been wrong to do so. Yes, mystery scenarios are less straightforward than running dungeon crawls and hex crawls, the other two types of game structure thus far discussed on the podcast, but that doesn't make them impossible. Firstly, you need to apply the three-clue rule. The Alexandrian expresses the three-clue rule very clearly. Quote, For any conclusion you want the PCs to make, include at least three clues, end quote. In other words, for any single thing that you want the players to figure out, you need to give them three ways of finding it out. Why three? Because three clues gives the players a lot of leeway to screw up the investigation. Quote, if you think of each clue as a plan, the PCs will find A, conclude B and go to C, then when you have three clues, you've got not only a plan, You've also got two backup plans, and when you realise that your plans never survive contact with the players, the need for those backup plans becomes clear. End quote. The Alexandrian points out that the best case scenario is that the players find clue A and get the conclusion you planned for. That's great, because if they find the other two clues, they'll confirm their suspicions and feel good about it. But, quote, in a worst case scenario, They should be able to use at least one of these clues to reach the right conclusion and keep the adventure moving. And there are no exceptions to the three clue rule. Nope. None. You have to provide three clues for every conclusion you want the players to make. Actually, this rule applies not just to mystery adventures, it goes for any adventure. Any moment in which you require the players to form a particular conclusion before being able to proceed. Thus, the three clue rule is one of the best bits of advice for getting any GM past the problem of what the Alexandrian calls choke points. Any problem that requires a solution to progress needs three possible solutions. If it's a regular challenge, imagining one solution is enough and you can leave room for the players to come up with other possibilities, which they probably will... Is it a secret door to a bonus treasure that isn't mission critical? Well, you can leave the clue and see if they find it. Is it a secret door that the players need to find? Well, for starters, I'd seriously question making it a secret door. That said, if you really must have a secret door, consider giving them three good clues as to its existence. Otherwise, your adventure is going to grind to a halt at that choke point. Thus... For any conclusion you want the PCs to make, include at least three clues. There's loads more good stuff in the Alexandrian's article, Three Clue Rule, so I'll stick a link to the show notes, but the Three Clue Rule. That's the first big key to the mystery game. Most published adventures are based around a linear design. You start at point A and proceed through points B, C, and D to end up at point E. I'm simplifying it, of course, because any decent published adventure has probably got more than five points. And sometimes the adventure delivers you to a nice, big, meaty, free-range point in the adventure where there is a lot to explore, examine, and interact with. The exact form varies, but essentially, the structure is a plotted one. It's a linear a happens, then B, then C, and so on. Generous GMs might allow for some side quests and even for the players to make up their own adventure for a while. In the end, though, the story comes back to the linear design. The plot is there to be followed. To quote the Alexandrian, quote, The primary advantage of the plotted approach is its simplicity. It's both easy to understand and easy to control. On the one hand, When you're preparing the adventure, it's like putting together a scheduled to-do list or laying out the plot for a short story. While you're running the adventure, on the other hand, you always know exactly where you are and exactly where you're supposed to be going, end quote. But the plotted approach has two major downsides. Firstly, it lacks flexibility. Secondly, and much more importantly to my mind, the plotted approach totally stops meaningful player choice let's talk about flexibility first the plot is all fine and dandy but every single point on the path is a choke point if the players veer off the path the adventure grinds to a halt this is mildly annoying in the standard plotted adventure but it is catastrophic in a mystery game Quote, the risk of this painful train wreck or the necessity of railroading your players can be mitigated by means of the three clue rule But when the three clue rule is applied in a plotted structure, you run the risk of overkill. Every yellow dot will contain three clues and all pointing towards the next dot. If the players miss or misinterpret a couple of the clues, that's fine. But if they find all the clues in a smaller scene, they may feel as if you're trying to spoon feed them, which, ironically, may cause them to rebel against your best laid plans, end quote. This problem leads some GMs to proudly declare that they'll simply move the next point in the adventure back in front of the players. Oh, you choose to head south instead of north? Well, let me move the next encounter south. They'll never know the difference. Maybe not. But this brings me to the second downside. It's totally going to stop meaningful player choice. In his excellent book, Game Angry, the angry GM points out that there are three levels of player agency. The technical term for giving players meaningful choices. Level one agency is the freedom to choose how to deal with the situation. Most GMs give this level of agency to their players. It's the freedom to decide how to handle the group of orcs in the room, or how to investigate the crime scene, or how to tackle a negotiation. We are familiar with level one agency. Level two agency is the freedom to choose the situation. Quote, that's the agency the heroes have whenever the heroes are actually choosing their path through the adventure and by doing so, choosing which obstacles they face. When exploring a dungeon, the players can choose which rooms to explore. When they are travelling across country, they can choose which road to take or go off the road. They can choose who to talk to in town. They can decide whether to fight their way to the front or sneak around the back. End quote. Level 3, agency, is the freedom to choose the goal. Quote, this is the agency the heroes are exercising whenever they decide what goals to pursue. Usually you, as the GM, set the goal of the adventure. You assign the heroes a quest like rescuing a beautiful treasure or plundering an ancient princess. The heroes either encounter obstacles on the way and decide how to handle them, agency level 1, or they figure out the best path to the goal and deal with the obstacles as they see fit, agency level 2. But at agency level 3, the heroes get to choose their own goals. They do whatever they want, end quote. The plotted approach certainly takes away level 3 agency because the players are no longer choosing the goal. Their goal is whatever outcome you have predetermined will wrap up the adventure. The angry GM mitigates this by reminding you not to have just a success outcome but also a failure outcome in mind for the adventure. But still, you chose the goal. The players didn't. The GM who moves the situations around to force the players to interact with their adventure in the potted sequence is taking away Agency Level 2. Players can no longer choose a situation. They are on a theme park ride. Yes, it can have lots of exciting and tummy jostling moments, but in the end, it's on rails. The players are no longer allowed to go off the plot of Adventure Path. You've only left them level 1 agency to play with. They can decide how to handle the situations you put them into, and that's all. Even then, there are GMs who decide that some situations are going to be combat encounters, or interaction encounters, or even investigation scenes. Now you've ventured into limiting level 1 agency as well. Honestly, I'd take Justin Alexander's advice and stop prepping plots. Prep situations instead, and use a node-based design structure. Before we dive into describing node-based design, and honestly, you should go and read the series on the Alexandrian to fully understand this approach because, crikey, I can't do it full justice in a 30-minute podcast. But before we dive in, let's cover what we are not describing. Node-based design is different to choose your adventure design. You know, the type of adventure structure that tries to anticipate every possible approach the players might take and come up with a response to it. This is what computer games do, and, as sophisticated as that can be, ultimately it's an impossible amount of work. It's also limiting to meaningful player choice because you can't really anticipate everything. So no, node-based design is not like that. It's actually less work than the alternatives. Plotting a story, however lightly sketched, is harder. The starting point for a node-based design is to invert the three-clue rule. The Alexandrian states it very clearly. Allow me to quote liberally, and I hope Justin won't mind. Quote, For any conclusion you want the PCs to make, include at least three clues. The underlying theory behind the rule is that having three distinct options provides sufficient redundancy to create a robust scenario. Even if the PCs miss the first clue and misinterpret the second, the third clue provides a final safety net to keep the scenario on track. This logic, however, also leads to the inversion of the three clue rule. If the PCs have access to any three clues, they will reach at least one conclusion. In other words, if you need the PCs to reach three conclusions, A, B and C, and the PCs have access to three clues, each of which would theoretically allow them to reach one of those conclusions, then it is very likely that they will, in fact, reach at least one of those conclusions. End quote. The term node-based design comes from a visual structure that's hard to describe, but I'm going to try. Nodes are points on a page. These represent the conclusions that a player might make. Nodes can be places, people, objects, whatever. Perhaps to begin, it's helpful to think of nodes that represent places, as long as you remember that they are not just places. So, nodes. Points on a page. Each node has three clues, one to each of three other nodes. This is, by the way, the simplest form of node based design. You can have lots of nodes and dozens of clues, but keeping it simple, our starting node, the start of the adventure, offers three clues. Thus starting out, I have a clue to point A, another to point B and a third to point C. Each of those nodes also has two further clues one for each of the other two nodes in this basic structure. Thus, point A has a clue for point B and another for point C. I hope you get the idea. If not, go to the Alexandrians post and look at the diagram instead. There are limits to this podcasting thing. So, starting point, Three clues, three nodes, one clue for each node. Let's imagine the players follow the clue pointed to node A and toddle on over they find two more clues. If they have all the clues from the starting point and they find another clue for point B, they might choose to head to point B and there they might find clues for points A and C. By now I am really hoping you are able to picture the strength for this design. Quote, When you create individually interesting nodes, you generally find that those nodes can be shuffled into virtually any order and still end up with an interesting result. The PCs might even decide to split up and pursue two leads at the same time. As a GM, I find these types of scenarios more interesting to run because I'm also being shocked and surprised at how the events play out at the gaming table, and as a player, I find them more interesting because I'm being allowed to make meaningful choices." Some will claim that, because the node-based design only has a limited number of nodes to visit, with clues pointing to them, this takes away from player agency. But I am not so sure. As I mentioned earlier, the angry GM in his excellent book, Game Angry, points out that there are three levels of player agency. This is, again, the technical term for giving players meaningful choices. Level 1 agency is the freedom to choose how to deal with the situation. Level 2 agency is the freedom to choose a situation. Level 3 agency is the freedom to choose the goal. I think that the claim that node-based design limits player agency fails to spot the difference between level 2 and level 3 agency. They are different levels of meaningful choice. Node-based design allows for level 2 and doesn't limit level 3. In other words, if the players have chosen the goal of investigating your mystery, or entering your dungeon, or whatever, then they have made a meaningful choice. Now we are into freedom to choose a situation, level 2, and that's where node-based design shines. Because we are no longer plotting the sequence of the situations, we give the players agency to choose the order of those situations, and then, down into level 1, we let them resolve each situation in their own way. As long as we don't railroad them into the investigation in the first place, then we never have to violate meaningful player choice. We are giving them a situation and a bunch of clues. What they make of that is up to them. But with the three-clue rule in operation, the players have a pretty strong opportunity to explore the various situations, the nodes in our design, in whatever order and in whichever way they choose. And eventually, assuming we are designing a mystery, they can solve that mystery. And the really cool thing about node-based design is that it ends up being less work than designing a plot which tries to deliver the same kind of rich experience. Let's try and put it all together. If you want to build a mystery scenario, you start with the end in mind. What is the final conclusion you want the players to come to? For example, in a murder mystery, the question to deal with is who did the murder? Where? When? Why? And how? Once you've answered those five questions, you've got five sets of conclusions to create clues for. The three clue rule states that you need three clues for each conclusion. Imagining a really simple murder mystery, we have a who did it, where they did it, when they did it, why they did it, and how they did it. Players will want to solve all those questions. That's 15 clues. If I place three clues into each node in my design, I can foresee the need for five nodes. That's the simplest nodal mystery design. Start them out, let them work out the clues, and they will end up with who done it and evidence to explain where, when, why, and how they done it. That'll be a cool story to experience, and all the time the players will find that they have full agency over how they dealt with each scene and even how they went about investigating it. To top it all off, you have a very manageable structure in which to play. But that's just the beginning. There are loads of ways you can make that basic five-node mystery more interesting. The diagrams and the details on how are all on the Alexandrians' website. Examples include the funnel, in which a short mystery leads to a conclusion that leads to a new mystery that leads to a conclusion that leads to a... Well, you get the idea. There's also the layer cake, in which you achieve the same general sense of progression that a funnel design gives you, but allows you to use a lighter and looser touch in structuring the scenario. Quote, the most basic structure of the layer cake is that each node in a particular layer gives you clues that lead to other nodes in the same layer, but also gives you one clue pointing to a node in the second layer. Although a full exploration of the first layer won't give the PCs three clues to any single node in the second layer, they will have access to three clues pointing to a node on the second level. Therefore, the inverted three-clue rule means that the players will probably get to at least one node on the second layer, and from there they can begin collecting additional second-layer clues, quote. But by now, I've probably lost you. Go and see The Alexandrians' full series of articles. The alexandrian.net forward slash game hyphen 101. Then click on node based scenario design. I think it's the sixth link on the list. I'll stick a link in the show notes too. In short, node based design is all about inverting the three clue rule create situations, places, people, or things into which to fit the clues and allow the clues to link the situations, places, people, or things together. And when you start out, keep it simple do a five-node mystery, and make the nodes places. You can put interesting NPCs into those places. Remember that the last node in the murder will be a person, a very guilty person. Game on! This podcast is all about helping lapsed gamers find a route back to the gaming table, and I've shared some interesting suggestions about that over the past 25 or so episodes. The best episodes, though, have arisen from the questions that you, the listeners, have asked. Thus, I'm going to ask you, what questions do you still have? If you ever want to get in touch, ask questions, or share your point of view, you can leave me a voice message. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for Roleplay Rescue, and tap on the Messages button to leave yours. Without you, the listeners, I can't hope to tackle the problems people face in really getting back to the table. Thank you for your support. Today, we've investigated the basics of mystery design. We started with the major problems with the mystery scenario and why a lot of us, me included, got frustrated with them. We found out that mysteries can be made really cool by applying the three clue rule and node-based design. We discussed the weaknesses of a linear mystery plot. We discovered how node-based design, including the inverted three clue rule to set up the mystery allows for greater player agency, and we briefly touched on the importance of prepping situations instead of plots. From there, we outlined the most basic nodal adventure design before I cried off and pointed you at the grand master of node design, Justin Alexander. Seriously, if you want to know more, go to the Alexandrian.net. I hope that this is helpful and interesting and, frankly, it makes some sense. I'm afraid that by not having visual aids, this episode will be incomprehensible, but hey, at least I tried. I've been terrified of screwing this episode up, but in the end, you have to have a go and put it out there, and if I succeeded, please let me know.
1: Wow, Che, that last episode about the game you really want to run just totally hit me in the feels that is the world that I want to play in. That's the game I want to play in. That's the game I want to run. And that is the game I want to create. If you, I will give you as much encouragement as you need. And if you slow down, I will get out and push because I want to see that succeed. You know, playing in a multi-genre, no-holds-barred world is really what led me to games like Savage Worlds, where there is no limit to the type of play or the type of character.
0: Hi there, Frank. Great to hear from you. Thanks for calling in. Frank T there, ladies and gentlemen, from Frank T's Line of Notes podcast, available on Anchor. Frank, I'm So glad that you, of all people especially, but you have enthusiasm for this idea. Arcana Gravitas, for me, the name I pinned on that multi-genre, universal world thing I want to build, that is really close to my heart. And to hear one other person just say, yeah, I want to play that too. In fact, I want to help you make that. In fact, I'll get out and push. Those are great words. Thanks, man. Um, and thanks for reminding me about Savage Worlds I've backed the adventure edition and I see no reason why I shouldn't go and investigate that system I don't actually think that the system is first choice here like the first thing I have to decide I think I actually have to start writing some adventures but in the meantime Frank thank you so much for calling in it is great, great and awesome to have your encouragement game on <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Roleplay Rescue. I hope you enjoyed it. A huge thanks to the Alexandrian, Justin Alexander, for inspiring this episode. And also for the angry GM for feeding my understanding of roleplaying games generally and talking about agency. Please check both of them out. They are interesting characters for sure and they both have immense material for you to read through and have a look at. Thank you also to the amazing Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through their generous donations and encouraging words. Just by chucking a dollar in the jar every month, they help keep the lights on in the studio, so to speak. Thank you to the listener for grabbing this episode and giving it a good old listen. I'm Che Webster. I'll be back next week with another episode of Roleplay Rescue.